Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Holo Holo Podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. It's our full episode today, and we have on deck Poker Face, the TV series from Ryan Johnson. And then later in the podcast, we talk about Filipino family feuds. But before we get into all of that, Sigs, let's catch up. Let's talk about pop culture and what just happened last night. It was the Oscars. Yeah. And it was everything, everywhere, all at once. It was oh my gosh, wonderful. Yes. How can I start crying in the first 20 minutes? The wins are amazing. I have a lot of things to say, and I'm going to try to keep it brief because I know I, <laughs> I don't want to overrun this. Say it, I mean, say it, say it. Here's so many things. Growing up, when I would play with my friends, we'd play Scooby-Doo. I would always be regulated to being the dog. I was never yeah. Freddy or Shaggy. When Kihui Kwan came out as Dada in The Goonies... I was so happy. I got to play a role. And when we played make-believe and stuff, I got to be a role. He wasn't Filipino, but he was Asian adjacent. And that was important to me. To see him win his award, I was crying. It was amazing. This person has talked about his immigration journey in a refugee camp, boat person, being able to go in his career and for him to track. It was just wonderful. And the whole story of everything everywhere all at once, if you haven't seen it, it's this crazy mismatch. It's about multiverse. It's what Doctor Strange wanted to be. And it's really about a daughter trying to find peace and identify with her immigrant parents. And that's what it's about. And it's wonderful. And for it to win accolades of awards yesterday, Mm. seven of the awards. And they keep on saying above the line awards, which includes direction, screenplay, best picture, actors, and editing. Like, it was wonderful. There was so much joy and excitement and tears from, like, Stephanie Shui, like, everyone. Michelle Yeoh breaking it down. Kuya, did you realize Halle Berry won her Oscar 21 years ago? 21 years ago. For Monsters Ball. Monsters Ball. Yeah. 21 years ago since a woman color had one lead actress. I know it's kind of crazy to think about it that way. How there's been incredible performances in between these two women, right? Yeah. You know, and so it's just kind of like, wow, it just really shows you when they've talked about how Oscars is so white, that indeed Oscars is so white. It is groundbreaking to see the wins that we saw last night. Listeners, you have to know that although this kind of drops in the middle of our Crime and Punishment Month, we have Mm -hmm. just recently off the heels of Oscars. Totally, Sigs and I are totally connecting over this and catching catching up over it. But can I just say, when Kwan received his Oscars, it was just so poignant and so Mm -hmm. beautiful to see. And I think... What I remember the most, at least in this award season, is Quan accepting his Golden Globe. Yes. He talked about how, is this it? You know, is this going to be most that I'll be able to succeed in acting in terms of Goonies and Indiana Jones? And then just thinking about how he lay fallow for decades, not just a couple of years. As a step coordinator. Yeah. Just a step coordinator, a bit part on an Encino man. Right. 
And then to come decades later and then to return to acting to come to this. But when I heard that story, it just gave me chills when I saw his acceptance speech and then to kind of have it all be bookended with this acceptance speech, quite touching. And I can't remember the supporting actress from last year that had presented the award. Ariana DeBose crying and Troy Kotzer just being emotional on oh, both of them. You know, just Love the it. break and the lilt in her voice when she said Quan's name. I was just like, oh my God, tears came to my eyes streaming too. And then Michelle Yao, like just Or Halle Berry there saying, yeah, yeah that's so, right. So, so, so amazing to see all of that. Yeah. Did you... I am happy for Jamie Lee Curtis. I've always liked her. She's a great ally. Right. But I was just like, oh, Angela. Angela. Yeah. Angela. You know, it was tough. Like, There's so many good roles. There's so many great acting. And that must have split the votes. It must have been tight. If, if I think so. Thought. You know, truth be told, when I saw Jamie Lee win, I was hoping against hope, you know, the presenters were going to come back and say it was I, a tie and, yeah. and Angela Bass. I was really hoping for that. But I have to say, in as much as we can be happy for Jamie Lee Curtis, and I was happy for her. Like, oh, yes. look, a scream queen finally gets an Oscar. Nepo, baby. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought to myself, she deserves those accolades, and she deserves it for the movie, right, that, that she plays. Yes. So for everything. However, we can also be sad for Angela. I was. I, like, those yeah. two things can coexist. We can both be happy for Jamie Lee and also be sad for Angela. And, you know, I know that on the internet and on the Twitterverse, people are like talking about how she may not have been gracious. I think she was just being truthful. It's like, who doesn't oh, want I think the so award? Too. Yeah. Who, who doesn't want the award? And I think to myself, it's okay to not like always be acting. I don't think she was like getting up and down and jumping and, you know, doing a Kanye West in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like taking that moment. You know, she, so I was just thinking to myself, yeah. oh, internet, oh, Twitterverse, just calm down. It's okay that she's not happy about that. And mm-hmm. it's okay that we're okay that she's not happy with yeah. that. We can feel her sorrow and her sadness. That doesn't have to take away from Jamie Lee Curtis's win no. as well. Yeah. And let's be honest, whatever, Angela deserved it for what's love got to do with it. Yeah. No offense to totally. Emma Thompson for Howard's end. Yeah. Tina Turner. When do these roles come back for her? And I, Angela... Rules are coming back to you. You are a force. Yeah. Like, it, it will come. And even though, you know what? Jamie Lee Curtis should have been, an, honestly, she should have been nominated for Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday? I think so. Yeah. She was freaking <laughs> yeah, she amazing. Was, she and was amazing. Like, oh, it's just a comedy. I'm like, no, she was a great actor. I'd like to take a moment, aside from the fact that well, one quick style point, Harry Shum Jr., Cara Delevingne, Michelle Yeoh style, look it up. Really beautiful. I would like to say something. Now, yes. if you watch the pre-Oscar show, Hugh Grant was being interviewed by Ashley Graham. He was not very nice. She was like pulling teeth to oh get my God, to totally. answer. Yeah, like Vanity Fair, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's like Vanity Fair. No, I'm not really looking at it. I was just like, what are you wearing? Ashley Graham clothes. Like, he was being a total dick. And here, in my head, I'm like, just have a fucking cigarette. It's not a big I apologize for my language because I'm a little irritated. Well, see. I was irritated too. And it was just kind of like, if you were trying to be funny, it wasn't working. Oh, it's not nice. No. no and no, no, I no, just no. thought, okay, maybe there was just some miscommunication there. But it was his rolling of the eyes that That's, That him. was what pissed me off. That, piss- that betrayed him. Because I, yeah. I get it. Like, sometimes you could try to be funny and it just doesn't come off for whatever reason. And you don't have the banter with the person that's interviewing. Mm-hmm. But the minute he rolled his eyes, it was like, oh, like, cool. you were just not being cool and being rude in the end. So, yeah. But here's the thing. 
Yeah. The punch up for Hugh Grant was he and the beautiful Annie McDowell, who's aging so gracefully, mm. come out like presents award. And now if you haven't watched them, listeners, those two were in Four Weddings and a Funeral, a classic rom-com right. duo, British, yes. whatever. And he made a joke about using moisturizer oh, and that yes. he felt able to score them. I have been making that fucking joke for the past three months. <laughs> I've been making that joke for the past three months. You can ask my wife. I should have patented it because I feel like I will either turn into walnuts or a scrotum. He stole it. He stole it. I was pissed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That is my joke. Friends of the podcast, James and Ray, I had to text them. I'm like, you guys, that is my joke. I don't understand. I cannot get it out there because everyone's going to think I'm riffing on Hugh Grant. Mm. But loyal listeners, I know you hear me. <laughs> I've had that joke lately as I'm in my 40s and just been like, I really need to moisturize more or I'm going to turn into like a walnut or my kids are going to be like, dad is turned into a walnut or a scrotum because of this harsh oh winter. Oh my gosh. Yes. But I am just putting it out there and we're recording this for sake. And I had that joke before Hugh Grant or whomever Jimmy Kimmel had written for that thing. Sake, That's I why would I'm believe you. Grant. Not for his rudeness. To Asher Graham, and she didn't deserve because it. Because he stole your idea. Because he stole my scrotum joke. That was an easy take. And that is all my comments for the Oscars. And it was lovely. And Jimmy Kimmel did a great job. And yes, he did. did Lady Gaga think that she was on MTV Unplugged? Because that's what I thought she was doing. <laughs> and I felt bad for Riri. And RRR did a wonderful music. Like, how can you not love that music from India? It was wonderful. Yes, yes and Props the dancing. Yeah, And then finally, it. Malala, you are classy. Mm. You're a classy woman. I only talk about peace. Good for you. Yes. We're not into the banter. Do you have any last minute thoughts about Oscars before I go on my other pop culture piece and we'll get to you? It was refreshing. And yes. the fact that Jimmy Kimmel took the Will Smith slap and just kind mm-hmm. of addressed it. Just loved it. And I thought, ooh, he went there, but it was just like matter of fact. And I thought he did a fantastic job. So and it, it went left. out without a hitch. Yes. And on it went levels. on forever, but it was still entertaining. So. It was still good. And yeah. Kuya, any style thoughts? I'd love to hear. I know that we haven't hit the Met Gala, yeah, but any yeah. style thoughts that you thought were like, ooh, that looks good? I, I love hearing what your thoughts uh, are for you style. You know, I have to say, I wasn't a big fan of the cutouts in all the dresses this year. Because I have that? to say, well, <laughs> and I just have to say, some of it was distracting because it was either asymmetrical or off to the side, or it looked like the dress was made wrong. And it was like, oh, that was intentional. And it was like, and I was thinking to myself, and that's a privé label. And I just thought, yeah. oh, what, what is it with the cutouts this year? It's like, stop, stop, stop. But I have to say, I love the purple dress of Angela Bassett. On her skin? On her skin. Mm. It was beautiful. Mm. I thought it was radiant and it's gorgeous. And I always say this typically, especially with our friend Mo, when we usually Oscar watch together, we mm. always talk about how the TV doesn't fully capture the beauty of some of these dresses. Because sometimes mm-hmm. even though it can look you know, really pasty or really sickly or whatever the case may be. It's because some of it is just not made to be seen on TV because of the glare of the lights. But her dress seemed to radiate. And I just thought, oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So that's kind of my style pick for the entire awards red carpet for Oscars. What is your last comment about the red carpet being not red? Champagne? What is that? And I thought to myself, <laughs> like, go, go, it's just go off, beige. Go it's just beige and it's going to stain. And it's like, oh my gosh, do you know how many Bissell carpet cleaners <laughs> you're going to need 
just to do that. That is not environmentally friendly. And it was just no. like, at least with the red carpet, you could probably like vacuum in regularly, but for that champagne, just because it's not like there was even a reason. It was like, what's the reason for it? It's like, oh, they thought they'd do something different. Was there a reason? <clears throat> Couldn't find the reason. Could you find the reason? No, but I knew as soon as I saw that, I know my friend Ray and you'd be like, what is this? What is this? I kept thinking that. And it was like, and it's dirty. And all I kept thinking about, there was this at one point in the ABC Oscar warm-up special where mm-hmm. I think like a bucket of roses fell or something like that. And it stained the carpet. And all I could, kept thinking about was, look how stained it is. Look how stained it is. This is terrible. So I thought, oh gosh. Just washes people out. And guys, lighter color, not always the best choice. Not good. Not good. <laughs> On many levels. And now let's pivot. Kuya, pop culture ketchup. <laughs> Pop culture catch up. Thank you for indulging me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) What have I been indulging in? I've been indulging in, I finally caught up on Wednesday on Netflix. Oh, just love. Thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. So really smart, really clever. I just love the deadpan humor, like no pun intended. Yes. And it's a clever rethinking of the entire Adams Family franchise. So kudos to all of them. I love Jenny Ortega. She does the role. Perfectly well. And of course, she's also poised to reboot the Scream series through Scream and Scream 6, which, by the way, I don't watch horror movies, but I recently watched Scream with my friend Brandon that I think I talked about on our previous <laughs> episode. And I screamed my way through it. And now they're like, oh, you need to go see Scream 6. And I'm like, I'm going to wait until it comes to streaming. But, anyways, love Jenny Ortega and Scream, love Jenna Ortega in Wednesday. I have to say, though, I read an article about Jenny, and Jenny was talking about how she actually was changing script lines to make sure that it was consistent with the character of Wednesday Adams. And I thought to she myself, was, yeah, she worked really hard with Tim Burton. Like they really went for it. Yeah. And so I just thought, wow, that could have either gone one of two ways either temperamental actor on the set and what do you know about the character but obviously she did a deep dive into the character and did a character Mm. study altogether because it really was a character study on Wednesday Addams oh it was well done yeah well done well done or it ended up the way it's ended up and so I'm glad to hear that season two the other thing that I've been kind of watching pop culture and just slowly getting into it so I've only got into the first couple of episodes is The Last of Us at Pedro Pascal and I can't remember the child actress or the child actor yes Bella Ramsey Yes, Bella Ramsey. Thank you. So, <laughs> did you play the video game? I haven't. I have with okay. my nephew Jordan. And, uh, so, it is kind of like The Walking Dead. There are similarities, but I think to myself, the reason why Walking Dead and The Last of Us and these video games, and we are living in apocalyptic, dystopic times. It's right. not the 1950s or 60s where it's like halcyon period in the North American Western Golden Age. That video game takes like a complete weekend with 10 Red Bulls to play. Oh, I kid you not. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it is. And playing the video game is very similar to what you're seeing. There are some decided choices that they're making so far that I can tell from the first couple of episodes, but very much enjoying it. And very much understanding why the internet calls Pedro Pascal the internet daddy at the end of it all. Uh, people are in love with him and he's charming. He's totally like, he's, he's totally charming. To he, with. Well, look, if he can be a daddy to, to baby Yoda, he can be a daddy in the last of us. Right. So we can totally <laughs> understand. <laughs> so that's what I've been up to pop culture. wise. I just want to know, you do know what the latest news is about Jenna Ortega. Do what is know? the latest? No, no, no. I don't know. He Tell me. is being courted for Beetlejuice. 
Oh, really? She like, will be the daughter of Winona Ryder, Lydia. Ooh, that'll that's be interesting. What she, that's going to be, I'm like, holy, like on point. Like, right, totally on she's point. Going, and I was just like that, but it fits. That, I think she's a great actor, period. And I saw her on Saturday Night Live and she's just. Yeah, she, I, I did see her on Saturday Night Live too. It, eh? <laughs> totally, totally. And the other thing about Wednesday on Netflix was it was nice to see Christina Ricci. In oh, it, yeah. Right. And, so, and, Gwen, and Gwendolyn Christie. So statuesque. Oh, statuesque. Her and Hannah Waddingham, I, I feel like they should be best friends. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> I just love how she would constantly be posing all over Nevermore Academy. And I just thought, <laughs> oh my God, she's totally on it's the runway. It's, really, it's, it's a, a mood. It really is a mood. It really is a mood. So how about you? What have you been up to pop culture-wise? Aside from the Oscars, the only last little bit I'll talk about, because I, I, I have so many things to talk about, but... Have you heard about this show called The Consultant? You know, it's on I, Video. Have I've you? just seen the tile on, okay. on, you know, on the streaming app. But tell me Did, more about it. And it was just maybe two weeks ago. For some reason, on a Thursday night, I was like, oh, what's this show? It's called The Consultant with Christoph Waltz. Yeah. And it starts off where there is, it's so weird. There's this like startup tech crew and there's a bunch of kids that are going to go see the creator, the big person that runs it. Right. And apparently his doyen or his like assistant is like, okay, I'll, I'll take you up to meet him. She leaves the kids to meet him. She talks to a coworker, like one of the programmers. All of a sudden you hear a shotgun and a kid shoots the creator. Right. They come in. She's like, oh my God, what happens? And the kid goes, I'm scared. I want my mom. Hmm. Boom. And then it goes two weeks later, this gentleman appears out of nowhere, Christoph Waltz, late at night, while the assistant and the programmer in there after hours and going, hi, They're like, hi, I was told that I was hired by the previous owner. Mm. Like, what? And he takes over and it's half hour. And for some reason, I started one episode and I finished all eight episodes. <laughs> like that night, it was 2 a.m. I don't know what wow. I was thinking. And I had gone to work at the next day early. So I had a big coffee. It's based on a book. And it's very much a thriller slash sort of horror about the workplace Mm. and getting ahead. Just because you have such an organizational psychology brain, Mm -hmm. when you take a look at it, take a watch at it. We love Christoph Waltz. You just don't understand, why is this man coming in here, taking over? What type of deal was made before the owner of this company was killed? Mm. And what was he there to carry out? So these little half hours of just like, the assistant and the programmer are like, what's going on here? Let's try to figure this right. out. What what does he want to do? What is so he trying to do? Eight quick and episodes. Is that right? Eight quick episodes. And there's just one. And I remember NPR did a little bit of a focus. And this Christoph Waltz character calls the assistant late at night at 2.30 a.m. Hi, can you please come in? And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I can come in there eight. Oh, that's not the answer I want. He hangs up and calls her, <laughs> calls her back. Uh-huh. Five minutes later. And as tries it again? Call. Yes. As if he, he doesn't uh. even answer. And she goes, I'll be there in 40 minutes. Great. <laughs> it's an interesting thing, especially when people know I work for the public service. And when there's a lot of organizational change. Right. How do you survive organizational change is the question. Uh-huh. And how do you understand new leadership? And right. how do you realize what does it mean about getting ahead or forging your future amongst change. You have such a great mind. We can revisit this, but it's called The Consultant. Half Hour Bites. It's only eight episodes based on a book. Very thriller. It's open to season two. Mm. Maybe we'll do a further deep dive on this. Very nefarious. A little bit like, what's going on here? And it's almost to that line of like, is this horror? Is this a bit of a comedy? 
Mm. Kind of like severance in some ways, you know. That's exactly it. Maybe we need to do a deep dive on workplace TV series, but the more mystery thrillers that we're talking about, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of deep dives, that is what today's full episode is on, is a deep dive on Ryan Johnson's poker face here on Crime and Punishment Month on the Halo Halo podcast. But before we kind of get into that, Sigs, tell our listeners all about Poker Face and what the show is all about. In very broad terms. Now, folks, the reason why we revisited this, if you heard our last taste test and mm-hmm. the taste test we had last year, we love Knives Out, fr- we Knives do. Out franchise. And even further, Jesse's a big fan of the Star Wars mm-hmm. franchises, and Ryan Johnson has played a big hand on that. That's right. On creating different types of plots, whether it's Oscar-nominated, Thinking outside the box, taking pertinent themes happening right now and making it for our viewing pleasure. Right. Poker Face is, is a detective series, basically, where a Columbo-esque, and we'll talk about that point. Yes. Where Columbo-esque meets Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote versus Veronica Mars and even Sherlock Holmes paved a way for a sleuth like this rough voice, Charlie Kale, played by Natasha Leon, who's also not only the main star of the series, she's also the executive right. producer. Yes, yes. It's a mystery drama that unfolds weekly. Mm. What is very interesting, it's a very much a throwback, and, and Jez and I will talk about this further, where... Each episode starts with a murder and reveals how the killer committed murder. And what's interesting, Charlie Kale gets introduced at least 15 to 20 minutes on how she's related to this whole plot. After the initial episode, she doesn't join these episodes. What's interesting is the reason why it's called Poker Face, it is in reference to Charlie's ability to detect if someone's lying. It's basically been a talent that's helped her win poker tournaments previously. And the reason why it brings her to work at The current. Mm-hmm. In the first episode, the current casino that she's employed by. Right. That Sterling Resort or something like that. Resort. And it seems like there's something bad going on. She plays a hostess. Yes. And for some reason, there is some shaded mystery on why the owner's father, Sterling Sr., had hired her on. But That's she right. has this innate ability. And it's almost this quirky ability. She can call out people's bullshit on those she simply cares about she has this vested interest and what's interesting it ties into the fact of how does she get into these hijinks weekly yeah and that's what's the interesting thing about poker face and it's funny when i think poker face when we're playing a game of poker you basically don't show your cards and you have this like that's right stone look she's able to penetrate that i almost don't think it's a poker face i think she's more of like i can detect the untruth yeah, she's Where a human okay. lie detector. At, That's at the exactly end of the day. what it is. That is the primary conceit of this entire TV series. Just as much as with in Knives Out. Oh my goodness, what's her name again? Anna de Armas with uh, Anna de Armas, right? She where tell a lie. that was the conceit of that particular movie the conceit of this where natasha leone's poker face charlie kale is a human lie detector and calls out bullshit when she sees it and in some ways like such a superhuman ability that Mm -hmm. she can kind of figure this out and i love how she kind of describes it as just kind of like chirping noises and then she learns to just kind of block it out i think that ryan johnson really knows this genre of mystery spy detective So, so well. And in fact, I sometimes think that Poker Face, as you said, is not only a nod to Columbo, but I also think it's a love letter, you know, for Ryan Johnson in terms Mm -hmm. of Peter Falk playing Columbo. 
And, you know, right down to like the title, the title evokes a 1970s feel. You see it in that kind of like chips yellow. Mm -hmm. Then you see the, like the title underneath where it gives like the Roman numeral of the year that it's out. And I just think to myself, Ryan Johnson is smart because he's taken that story structure that you've described. And I think that they describe it as a how cat him, you know, how to catch them, you know, versus the whodunit, which is what we're usually used to, you know, which is a a subgenre altogether. So it is kind of fun to, as I think Ryan Johnson says, hang out with Charlie, rooting her on to figure out if she's going to figure it out. I mean, she figures it out. We kind of almost know that because she's mm-hmm. Charlie Kale and she's yeah. a human lie detector. But it's still fun to hang out and see her get to it. It's kind of like coming to somebody's basement who is a Rubik's Cube champion and then just like mixing up the Rubik's Cube and say, hey, solve it. And then you just watch them do it and they do it in like five minutes, right? And it's just like, I feel like I'm hanging out in Natasha Leone's basement trying to see if Charlie's going to solve it. And yet again, she does. And there's something really nice about it. And the other kind of love letter too, I think to Columbo and Peter Falk's Columbo that Ryan Johnson had is, is that, you know, just like Columbo, Charlie is also self-effacing yes. and humble and has this really kind of unvarnished quality that I I really enjoy. Like she calls herself like a drifter or a vagabond because she is kind of on the lamb on the run from what Siggy was describing earlier. But I certainly think it's kind of fun to kind of see what hijinks she's going to get into with the next cast of characters. So in some ways I think like poker face is not only like the Columbo TV series, but it's like Columbo meets the 1960s TV series, Route 66, which was also an adventure crime drama that takes an anthology format. So, Sings, I know you're going to rattle this off for us, but it's so fun each week that not only is there a different story, but there's like a different set of characters in each episode. So it's kind of fun. It's like, oh my God, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in this, or oh my God, Judith Light is in it, or oh my God, Apatha Merkison's in it, and all of that stuff. So I love that, and I love that about the format. The series also evokes a lot of similarities, in my mind at least, to 70s and 80s. So it also pays tribute to, I think, shows Mm -hmm. like Magnum P.I., not the current Magnum P.I. And it's kind of funny. There's like my three shows that I think it plays tribute to is Magnum P.I., MacGyver, and Quantum Leap, which ironically enough, they've all had reboots, you know, in the last five or eight years. What I'm actually referring to are the Magnum P.I., MacGyver, and Quantum Leap that came out in the 70s and into the 80s. It's been fun. And I think in some ways, like Natasha Lyonne's Charlie Kale is very much today's or modern day Columbo. And I think that that's what's so fun about all of this show is that it feels familiar, but also updated at the same time. I think you captured something in the fact that like these 80 shows now with Quantum Leap, MacGyver, and Magnum P.I., it would be an ever-changing cast, the same like sleuth at the beginning, trying to find their way. In Quantum Leap, you have this gentleman from the future with a sidekick. He's trying to find his way home, but he would travel different time places. That's right. And you have to fix something or find something wrong or traveling to different times. And I think Charlie Kale does that. But Jesse, you did such a great analogy. It's like throwing someone a Rubik's Cube. When you watch the show, I'm totally brought back into the 80s where – at my parents' house, if there's nothing to watch, sometimes there are old episodes of Columbo or something on, yeah, or even yeah. Tales of the Crypt, yes. or Hitchcockian, and some sort of macabre tale, and Poker Face encapsulates that. Mm-hmm. And even like with the credits and everything, I feel like it has a 70s and 80s feel. And the fact of the matter is, is with Charlie Kale, she has to be off the grid. 
Yes, like, she so has you, to be. You're less using like cell phones and stuff. Right. Or, or smartphones. So we're sort of retreating to the fact of just those bare bones before those items. What do you do? And there's a lot of throwbacks with a lot of the characters, their plot lines of getting money. And they came from like 10 years or 20 years of history yes. for them to come back. So it's almost like a bringing back and there's this capture of like, I guess of a certain time capsule. And I'm transported as soon as I see the credits. I'm like, oh, I feel like it's the 80s and I'm watching this. Listeners, when you're watching Stranger Things, for example, it, it, it has feels that, decidedly the 80s. nostalgic. Yeah, there's yeah. something nostalgic yeah. about it. And like Jesse says, it ever changes. Aside from Charlie Kale being the third line, you have like Oscar nominees, Hong Chow, Stephanie Shui, Nick Nolte, Cherry yes. Jones, Charles Melton, Chloe Sevigny, oh, Ellen yes. Parker, Tim Meadows, Jamila Jamel, Simon Helberg. Like it's a constant rotation. David Castaneda from yes. Umbrella Academy. It's a constant like carousel ending with like Cliff, the henchman for Sterling, right. played by the lovely Benjamin Bratt, who's aged so well. So, so very <laughs> so well. well. And it brings it together. You're right, Kuya. There's a Magnum P.I. and MacGyver Quantum Leap. And I think even Ryan Johnson referenced Quantum Leap. How does Sam navigate through to get to that safety, which is what Charlie's trying to do? How do I survive all of this without getting killed? Yeah. And how does she like happen to attract all these people or these murders I know, that, I know. that comes in there. Well, and I think that that's the interesting part, right? Like with mm-hmm. Columbo, he had a reason to be around all these right. murders because he was a detective. And exactly. He was, he was in the criminal justice system, but it's like, how does a drifter suddenly fall upon all these different murders? But I think part of it has to do with the fact that I think being a human lie detector, you can't help but see the inconsistencies so glaring so much that she can't ignore it. So I do wonder if there's a part of her that just can't let go when something is really deeply, deeply wrong. And I think that that's what's really interesting about the character of Charlie Kale is this is that she somehow takes us along on this journey of looking for justice. And I think I sometimes think to myself that Today, when we look at the legal system, I'm always reminded that it's a legal system. It's not a justice system. And so what's nice about all of this is is that when you go on this hangout with Charlie Kale, Mm. get a sense that the perpetrators receive what they deserve. And it's through Charlie that karma comes for the perpetrators. And that feels so satisfying in a number of different ways. Would you agree? I have to agree. And the way that Ryan Johnson exposes this is in very different ways. Whether it's something like Hamarsha, like their tragic flaws will take them. They want the spotlight. Or versus of like these denouement, these power struggles where, for example, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's on Mm. house arrest in his, realizes that Charlie takes his house arrest device. And it's not on him. And you just, and it goes like fades to black where you're like, you'll get yours. There's something about that justice being served. Sweet. It's so sweet, right? You and know. the bad people encounter it. And you have to say, like, this is a Ryan Johnson touched series. Like Marta in Knives Out, Benoit mm. Blanc says to her, You survived because you are a good person. Yes. That's yes. what it's. And Charlie Kale is a good person. And she has to, even though it gets so perilous as we end to like episode nine and 10, you're like, right. oh, good Lord, how is she going to figure this gonna out? How is she going to get out of this one? How yeah. is this going to continue? Yeah. And for you, Ryan Johnson fans, and I know there's many people out there, Charlie, Christina Borgana, I hope you're listening. Mm. There is some cinematic feel and there's some clear, clear shout outs to his movies, Glass yes. Onion, episode yes, four. Yes. 
Yes, there's yes, a tie into right. that that band where you're like, oh my goodness, but it wants you more, and the justice is served. And even though Charlie exists outside of the law, that's right. That's what and, I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think to myself, that's what makes it different and stand apart from Columbo. That's now, right. The other interesting about comparison between Columbo and I think uh, Poker Face is that they do also provide some type of commentary on today's society. Mm -hmm. And I think that in some ways, a lot of cultural commentators have called Columbo as a TV series that studies contrast where usually Columbo is usually a fish out of water trying to solve a mystery at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so it makes a statement how, again, an unassuming regular, everyday person can outwit the rich and powerful. Because essentially, Columbo solves crimes in privileged and what we would probably say are rarefied places. Columbo critiques power structures. And I think Poker Face does something similar, but it makes a commentary on power struggles. Yes. And what I think about that is that the theme of each set of characters and mysteries and solving shows is how the perpetrators are constantly struggling for more power. For me, mm. where I started to realize that was in the rock band, you know, the metal band, right. anthology, mm-hmm. you know, where they were just struggling for more power and that this struggle for more power also becomes the perpetrator's undoing. And it really kind of puts forward this notion that once you have power, you either want more or need to constantly struggle to keep it. And I think that that comes through in every episode. And for some of the perpetrators, you try to keep power at any cost, including murdering people. I think that that's something to just kind of think about that. Hmm. At what cost do you try to keep power? And it makes us question, how do you get more power and what is the source or force of these power struggles? And Mm -hmm. so as I started to think about this, you know, Sigs, what I was thinking is themes that seem to emerge from these power struggles is, is, is that there's either fighting over resources, vengeance, or this yes. sense of one-upmanship. Would you kind of also agree on that point? Oh, too? I totally agree, especially the race car one. Someone wants to be the best yes, driver. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So that episode, the Dexology metal band needing to kind of like, here's another pop song that'll make us big and bring us back our fame and glory. Absolutely. Or t- trying to maintain their reputation. I just thought, huh. This is a commentary on power struggles and the need to fight for power. And I think to myself, that's kind of what relates to today's culture capital topic, which is power struggle themes that can be seen in Filipino culture through specifically family feuds. And I remember Uh you and I, when we were planning this, we were talking about family feuds. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's two sets. There's a pop cultural set that we can take a look at later on in the episode. But I think the one that I normally think um, Mm -hmm. is persistent family feuds that are found in the Southern Philippines with respect to Muslim Mindanao. Oh. And those particular feuds are known as ridos. Have you ever heard of that, the ridos? No, I, I've never. I knew that there was Muslim population in Mindanao, but tell me more about ridos. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of blood ah. feuds there. So okay. those ridos in the, in the Southern Philippines have been known to go on for generation or these family feuds or blood wars have been going on for generations and that these family feuds have escalated from squabbles to many wars with unfortunately lots of bloodshed. Wow. And you know, when I was doing my research for this, there's this anthropologist, Francisco Lara, says that ridos are really a remnant of a feudal system where Again, power struggles are all but inevitable. So if you think about a kind of a feudal system, there are serfs and then there are land barons. And then eventually 
if you want more power, you need more land. And so then you have to go after take, more land. Take after. Yeah. yeah. And hence land becomes scarce. And then that's kind of how imperialism and colonialism was born. Lara says that again, Rito is a remnant of feudal systems. And that of course, then you would expect power struggles and that Rito's are also magnified because of overlap between clan members and members mm -hmm. of insurgency groups in the Philippines. So every time I travel to the Philippines, the Canadian government issues travel warnings. Don't go to the Southern Exactly. Yeah. And the reason why is because that they say that there's lots of insurgency groups that are there that are protesting against the government. And that is true. But all mm -hmm. of those also seem to overlap with a number of family feuds or blood feuds that occur in the Philippines. And so that tends to overlap and magnify it. What it also enables Rito's is the fact that there is a lack of government infrastructure and scarce jobs and poor economic conditions in the Philippines. Uh. And the lack of support that the Philippine government provides, as well as the lack of reach, allows the Ritos to perpetuate. And so people in the end, from what I understand from Lara's work, is, is that people end up seeking protection from the violence in the region, you know, by going to these powerful clans and joining these blood feuds. And it's better to join these clans than to hope that the government will protect you. And it's easy for people to engage then in these feuds. Oh, wow. It's interesting, right? It's instead of intervening, the government just ends up just trying to take a hands-off approach. And in fact, wow. when they do try to intervene they really rely on clan leaders to see if they can kind of keep the peace but invariably what ends up happening is, is is that when the government does that it ends up emboldening the clan leaders with much more power and it ends up becoming cyclical right and without any more government order in the region you know, some have even described it as to like the Hatfields and the McCoys in the Wild Wild West, where that's a famous American blood feud. Well, there are many blood feuds as a result in the southern parts of the Philippines. So I think when we started talking about family feuds and power struggles and stuff like that, that was the first thing that kind of popped into my mind. I don't know if there's anything to add or if you've ever kind of no, come across I just, that. It's sort of sad when... The governments, not that they fail to intervene, but they let it be. And now, like you, like you say, it's cyclical. Well, if they bring like the, the leaders of these clans, that doesn't mean it stopped. It, it's, it's still like continuing, right? So they yeah. think that they have leverage to be like, we're running it here. What do you want from us? Versus, right, right. What can we do to make this equitable and stuff? Like this is just, it is like the wild west. It still yeah. exists now, which is crazy, right? Well, and if they're not intervening, even taking a hands-off approach is really profound neglect by the government. And yeah. so there's a cultural piece to all of this in terms of these ridos that are occurring in the southern Philippines. Now, the other way that I kind of look at family feuds or, mm -hmm. if you will, power struggles amongst people you know, with respect to family is, again, as I always do and as you and I always talk about, is we look at the pop culture and see it as a reflection, that there tends to be two types of feuds that are portrayed <laughs> in Philippine pop culture. And I'm yeah. sure you've seen this in whether it's teleseries or movies or boy love stories that I've been watching. They come across as either sibling rivalries, which is really, there's a typical trope of long lost siblings that then fight over a precious resource, whether it's the estate, whether it's control of a company. Yeah. And I know that this isn't any different than watching the bold and the beautiful and the young. <laughs> yeah. But that is a typical and common theme. 
The other type of family feuds that I've seen also portrayed are those legal wife versus Karida squabbles. And I don't know. What's if that about? Ever, What's a Karida? So, you know, Karida is supposed to be a paramour or a love interest, but they end up becoming the mistress in some ways. And in Tagalog, mm. it takes on a really negative tone, right? When you say that someone is your paramour, but you use the word Karida, mm-hmm. what comes across is, is that, that there's something illicit about that relationship. And of course, usually there is a culmination of that in a cat fight at some funeral. It's typically what we <laughs> Which, That's dynasty. That's cinematic. That's dynasty and that's cinematic in a lot of yeah. ways. But I remember growing up seeing these Filipino films and feeling like that they were just train wrecks that I couldn't break my attention when watching some of these teleseries or these Filipino movies. And I don't know if you've ever seen these kind of common themes portrayed or not. I have, but some of those things do exist in the cases of like i'll try to talk broadly not that i'm trying to air a dirty laundry but mm. it's funny like my mom came kids of 14 right not everyone gets along yes and even like as things evolve and there's land to be taken some people think they have right to land or their children deserves that like yeah that type of stuff exists or even the sense and i want to talk about it it's not that i didn't ask permission from my parents but my mom had a brother that she had a falling out with because he didn't like my father Mm. He did something very soap opera-like to make, you know, to give my dad a bad name, and my dad didn't fall for it, and they were estranged from each other. My mom and him found her way back on her first return to the Philippines right. like when I was about 12 years old, and my mom's like, they came to an impasse to be like, that was long ago, and they sort of reunited. And during that time, my Uncle Benito, my mom and him reconnected and and he passed. But my mom's like, he was able to pass with like that type of, not rivalry, but like that, the infighting was sort of died down where it's just like, yeah. okay. Other things too, with many of 14, you know, there is an aunt that's a bit of like, a, I guess they would be a black sheep. So my grandmother, my Lola and my Lolo would be like, okay, what can we do to make sure that we stimulate you? Can we give you piano classes? Well, mm. can you imagine affording piano classes and that the other 13 don't get that? But right. if that person is being questionable or, you know, not doing well in school or being then, you know, they get that, you know, they can't understand that. And it's just these sibling rivalries and stuff, or even the fact that And again, my mom, it's a squabble for reasons. It is a squabble. Right? And even like my mom getting the opportunities, like Susie, my mom is going to, you know, become a, you know, LFW. She worked in Belgium. She helped support the family. And then she's put on a bit of a pedestal. It's very interesting. Like the Telesera isn't quite wrong. And sometimes it gets a little bit outlandish with people coming back from the dead. But these type of like power shows, we see them. We see them and certainly the pop culture in the Philippines and pop culture just generally reflects what happens in life. And because Mm -hmm. these things do happen, as you were kind of talking about, I think what's really interesting, especially when we go back to pop culture and we ask ourselves, well, what is this trying to tell us? And I just have to kind of remember some of my aunties, right? Some of my titas relishing these movies, but also putting forward their disdain for some of these characters. And I always walked away from these experiences thinking how that these are really bittersweet stories and lessons on why we should be content with what we have. That is, don't be greedy. Don't be squabbling. And, and I think to myself, okay, is that what these lessons are supposed to be? Is don't be squabbling in terms of some of what you are fighting after. And perhaps mm-hmm. the, those are reasons to put some of these grudges or these family feuds to rest. And right. I would agree. I don't know that actually pursuing these family feuds are helpful anyway. But I have to say today, 
that sentiment doesn't really sit with me that well. And sometimes I don't think the story is about being greedy. Sometimes I think it's about fighting for resources that we should all be given or entitled to. Mm -hmm. So I think about your mom, it's like, okay, well, perhaps there was a pooling of resources because there was belief in your mom having the ability to kind of be able to make it overseas and become an overseas foreign worker. Exactly. And that the hope would be that she would pay that forward and help other members of the family improve their life accordingly. Right. And I just think to myself, like the squabbles are less about the person being greedy. The squabbles are the fact that it's a symptom of the fact that society doesn't give enough to all of us. And that's really what I think these power struggles and these family feuds in the Philippines demonstrate is, is, is that there's this narrative of a scarcity principle at play and that mm -hmm. instead of actually naming that, you know, so for example, the government in the Philippines not having more reach and creating law and order in the southern parts of the Philippines, people have to yeah. scramble. You know, they should be entitled to safety. Shouldn't everyone feel safe in the areas that That's they're right. Instead of having to kind of curry favor with blood clans and stuff like that. Like, I could not even imagine that. Like, I know that we, you and I are, are speaking from privileged places. Yeah. I think to myself, everyone's entitled to safety. It shouldn't be something that we're squabbling over. But instead, what happens is, is that we're shamed. Shamed into thinking that we shouldn't want more. So I think the real villain in all of mm -hmm. this is sometimes not our needs. Because I think wanting those needs paints us as being greedy. But actually, the real villain is the inequity in terms of access to resources. And in fact, we wouldn't be fighting or feuding or squabbling if we had enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. It just kind of reminds me of litigation in some ways. That oh, yeah. you know, the winners aren't the litigants. You know, the winners are never the complainant or the respondent or the defendant mm -hmm. or the plaintiff. It's the lawyers right? It's the lawyers that are the winners. <laughs> they walk away with all the money and the litigants walk away with debt. And I think to myself that in feuds, the winner isn't always one of the families or a side of the families. It's actually the hierarchy or the oppression that we're all in that wins. But that's something to kind of walk away with. Like I think to myself, any feuds in my family it really is more about the fact that we're all set up to fight with each other and then say to each other that we're greedy because we want more when really what it is is that we just haven't been given enough. And that's kind of what I'm left with in all of this when mm -hmm. I think about family feuds, especially from a Filipino context or lens. So I don't know if you have anything. No, to that's to a that. great reframing. I think when you take a step back and like you say, to contemplate that, you know, what are we fighting about? And it's... yeah. Yeah. Don't hate the player, hate the game. That's right. <laughs> I think I think that's essentially the fixing of the week, you know, so that if we ever find ourselves in feud, we really need to kind of contemplate and meditate on who the actual villain is in the feud. And again, it's probably not the person you're directly fighting with. It's probably the game that we're all in. So... <laughs> So with that said, Sigs, I think you should take us out. Well put. Folks, if you've watched Poker Face, let us know and tell us your thoughts. And if you have anything to say about these family feuds and the mm. bull mo that Kriya Jazz has talked about and the interesting things that he brings up about facts about Ritos that are still existing in the Philippines, email us at holoholopopculture at gmail.com. This Holo Holo podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Please rate us, leave a review, tell your friends all about us. We love more listeners and followers. You can find us on social media. We're at Twitter. Our handle is at Holo Holo Pop. And we're on Instagram at Holo Holo Pop Culture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelter Ring. And we'll see all of you guys again real soon. 
siga sendo 